Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining us on the Paranormal Factor podcast. In this episode, we visit the state of Maryland to confront an eight-foot-tall monster, the Sykesville monster to be exact. The Sykesville Monster, a Sasquatch-like creature, terrorized the town of Sykesville, Maryland for over a decade. It can be aggressive, and it has been encountered on multiple occasions. Oh, and it also appears the authorities don't want you to know about it, with government agencies taking over encounter locations. But before we dive into the story, here's a quick reminder to check out the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page. Every day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to explore. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. And, hey, if you have the Alexa app, you can easily listen to our episodes by simply saying, Alexa, play the Paranormal Factor podcast, and you'll be carried away to our latest episode. Now, on to our episode. Sightings of the Sykesville monster began in 1972. Young Anthony Dorsey was playing near the woods just beyond his backyard in the small town of Sykesville, Maryland. His dog was with him and suddenly began barking furiously at the woods in front of them. Suddenly, a huge creature stepped out of the woods. Dorsey later described it as seven to eight feet tall with broad shoulders hair all over its body, and an almost human-like face. The dog bounded forward, attacking the creature, which cried out as the dog bit it. Visibly angry, the monster swung wildly, connecting with the dog. While the monster swatted the dog away, Dorsey's canine companion had done its protective duty well, as the monster lumbered away quickly, back into the woods. Later, Mrs. Agnes Dorsey, mother of the young man who first encountered the thing, said she thought more should have been done to capture or kill the creature. They should have gangs of men out there looking for it, she said. I hope it's caught. It was soon sighted again, this time by a truck driver who observed it sitting down before it got up and ran into the woods. The truck driver, who remained anonymous, said it could have been a man on stilts due to its height and seemed to be caked with mud from the waist down. These early sightings were stunning to those living in and around the small town. Citizens were quickly on edge, and soon scores of locals would report seeing a similar Bigfoot-like creature in the area. Yet one encounter some eight years later would make the creature a legend and bring renewed interest to its existence, as well as call into question actions by responding agencies and government authorities. The Sykesville monster is a seven to eight foot hairy humanoid. It's dark brown in color. Casts of the monster's footprints have measured 13 inches long and seven inches wide. The sightings increased in 1973 around Sykesville, Maryland, 
that led to a creature hunt that included police, a game warden, zoo officials, and several professional paranormal investigators. Sykesville resident and mentalist Daniel Eckert said, If you're into the Bigfoot community, this is considered one of the only Bigfoot impressions that has a lot of detail. If you look into any podcast or research group, you'll see the Sykesville monster come up as a very unique case with the police activity and the fact that the person who saw it is still alive today. The biggest sighting and encounter was in 1981. A man named Lon Strickler was fishing in the Patapsco River when he noticed a stray dog barking at a large clump of brush. Suddenly, a seven to eight foot hairy man emerged from the brush, causing the dog to attack. The creature fought back. Unlike the Dorsey encounter, this time it was the dog that ran away. Strickler has detailed the following regarding his encounter. My interest in cryptozoology began the day I witnessed a creature that was beyond my belief or what I thought were the boundaries of reality. The date of the encounter was May 9, 1981, about 10 a.m., and I was fly fishing for red-eye and smallmouth bass on the south branch of the Patapsco River, approximately one mile downstream from Route 32, near Sykesville, Maryland. The weather was sunny and, and slightly breezy, and the air temperature was uh, the low 60s. I was on the south bank near Riffles in the water when I noticed a stray mixed breed dog sniffing around the weeds and thickets on the north bank. The dog was about 50 yards from me and was weaving in and out of the brush. I wasn't worried about the dog bothering me, so I just put it out of my mind and concentrated on fishing. After a few minutes or so, I heard the dog barking and growling. I figured that he had stirred up a deer, but when I looked at the direction of the ruckus, I noticed a dark, hairy creature bobbing up and down in the thickets. Well, I stopped fishing and moved closer to the riffles to get a better look and noticed that the dog stopped barking. Suddenly, I heard a loud yelp from the dog and the creature stood up. The best I could tell is that this thing was about seven to eight feet tall and had dark matted hair. I could only see the body from the chest up because the rest of the body was obscured by the weeds and thickets. I stood completely still and I could hear a series of tick sounds while observing this creature walk slowly through the thickets toward the woods. I started to follow it and in the meantime I noticed a strong musky scent that uh, reminded me kind of of fox urine. I had waders on so I could only move so fast in an attempt to get a better look at this creature. Well, it simply moved too fast for me. I decided to go back to my car, drive into Sykesville, and make an immediate report to the authorities. On my way back to the vehicle, I noticed the dog, and it had noticeable blood around the neck and hind area, but it seemed to be able to get around. I figured I'd better stay away from the dog regardless. I drove to the nearest telephone, which was located outside a bar, and the police told me to go back to the area, and they would meet me there. So I got back into the car and started to drive back to the river. Well, I was amazed that a Maryland State Police cruiser was already there. The state police officer told me to get back in my car and leave immediately because they didn't know how dangerous the situation was. I tried to explain to him that I made the initial report, but he refused to let me talk and again told me to leave. I went back to the area about one hour later and the place was crawling with people and many state and other official vehicles. One man standing near the road did tell me that someone found some hair samples but refused to say anything else. 
For many years, I tried to gather information from local authorities in regard to this incident, but I have always been told that no information is available or we have no report of an incident. Since that time, I've decided that I would do my own investigations and find information on my own. Lon Strickler later received an anonymous comment when he posted an account of his experience online. I was one of the responders on that call. Right after we'd closed down the road, a government response team arrived. Those guys weren't fooling around. Their big dogs and bigger guns made that evident. It wasn't long before we were locked out, ordered into our cruisers, and away from the area. The into our cruisers part was the weirdest. We were outmanned, outgunned, and outflanked by the feds who had taken over. Soon after that, within an hour at most, several choppers were overhead, as in three. It was a manhunt on a larger scale than we could have mustered so quickly, and that's saying a lot. I've never been really positive what happened. None of our guys had actually seen it, though I imagine it was caught or killed. They said there were hair samples and footprint photos and casts taken. We were debriefed and basically instructed not to speak on the matter. With that, I'll close and say no more except that it did happen as described on here by Lon Strickler. But the story doesn't end there. Strickler had another strange report regarding the monster, possibly involving its death. Lon Strickler related one final strange encounter regarding the Sykesville monster. A few years after my Bigfoot encounter, I happened upon an older gentleman named Phil who was fishing on Piney Run near Marriott'sville, Maryland. I had been trying out a new fly rod upstream and confronted Phil as he was packing up gear by his car. We started talking about a few odds and ends when he mentioned that skeletal remains of a large human had been found on the Piney Run South Bank not far from where we were standing. He said that another fisherman had chanced upon the bones while he wandered off the trail. After the discovery, the man simply mentioned to a few other fishermen that there were bones in that direction as he gestured to the area. Phil said that he and a companion walked over to the other side of the stream to take a look at the remains. He said that some of the bones were obviously missing, but there was a skull without a jawbone as well as the vertebra, a few ribs and long bones of the arms and legs. There was no visible tissue, but there were a few small dried-out patches of reddish-brown fur scattered about. Phil said that both he and his companion both muttered at the same time, Where are the clothes? Then Phil said, This is too big to be a human. This was back in the early 1980s, so there were no cell phones. Phil's companion walked to the small store by the Patapsco River Bridge to call the police. As they waited for the authorities, Phil took out his fish tape and measured the upper arm bone, the humerus. He remembered it measured 22 inches. Listeners, by comparison, the average length of an adult human's humerus is about 13 inches. Phil's observations and conclusions were that it was something similar to a large ape or gorilla. He also mentioned that the skull looked very much human but larger. After the Baltimore County Police and State Police arrived on the scene, everybody was advised to leave the area. In fact, Phil said they placed crime scene tape across the road so no one could get within 300 yards of the location. He said he and a few others hung around the general store by the railroad track so they could see who was coming and going from the scene. 
and there were unmarked helicopters bringing people on site as well as several unmarked vehicles. These vehicles were similar to what I had seen after my encounter. There was never any mention on the local news. The most recent sightings were in 1993 by an eight-year-old boy in the Woodstock, Maryland area, a few miles downriver from Marriott'sville. And there was a report filed for a sighting in 2001 at the Liberty Reservoir. Witnesses thought they saw Bigfoot on a frozen lake. Since the area is now heavily zoned for residential dwellings, it's obvious to me that these creatures have moved on to more natural locations. And what do skeptics suggest the answer is to the Sykesville monster mystery? A theory of the Sykesville monster is that it's an escape patient from the nearby Springfield State Hospital. Following these rumors, Dr. Fred Pacheris, superintendent of the hospital, stated that nothing out of the ordinary has come to my attention. However, he did state that 10 to 12 people have taken unauthorized leaves over the years, one or two considered to be dangerous to themselves or others. Skeptics also point to a plaster cast taken of a 13-inch long footprint being analyzed by Maryland Zoo officials with the conclusion it could have been made by a sandal. Although no other proof is ever offered to support the existence of the monster, Sykesville Main Street director Ivy Wells said townspeople took the creature very seriously. After a sighting close to South Branch Park, police restricted access to that side of town, she said. The whole town was basically quarantined, she reported. She said no official reports of the Bigfoot-related investigations that took place from 1973 to 1981 could be found. Yet, police involvement was well documented by newspaper reporters as well as other media and eyewitness accounts. Some have speculated the missing records indicate a cover-up of additional information the government had about the creature that they still refuse to share or make available to the public. Well, in our next story, a shortened episode, we visit The Smiling Man. It's a short creepy pasta written by L.S. Riley. It was originally published by him on Reddit's Let's Not Meet form in April 2012 under the username Blue Title. The story is disturbing and eerie. An unnamed man has trouble sleeping. So as not to disturb his roommate by staying up in their apartment, he takes long walks in the city in the middle of the night. On one walk, he turns onto a side street and encounters a strange man who can't stop smiling, all the while performing a weird, disturbing dance. So join us as we look at one of the most famous examples of creepypasta in the tale of the smiling man, next time, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. That's right, it's quiz time, so let's get to it. In what year was the Ouija board first produced? Was it A, 1867, B, 1890, C, 1913, or D, 1967? Once again, what year was the Ouija board first produced? Was it 1867? 1890, 1913, or 1967? And the answer is... B. 1890. That name came courtesy of Helen Peters, who had a reputation as a medium. 
So on April the 25th, 1890, she had a session in Baltimore with the two entrepreneurs who had developed the board and the board itself. According to the letters and journals of the group, they asked the board what it wanted to be called. It spelled out O-U-I-J-A, Ouija. When they asked what it meant, it spelled good luck. But there may be a more practical explanation for the name. After the name Ouija was spelled out to the participants, Peters revealed she was wearing a locket she claimed had Ouija written on it. It's believed she might have been wearing a locket that had Ouida on it, the name of an English novelist she was fond of, and Ouija was just a misreading of Ouida. There was also an exotic appeal to the name, which was meant to sound Egyptian. When the board earned a patent in 1890, it was as an Egyptian luck board. Egypt was in vogue at the time in many spiritualist circles. The story of how the group earned their patent is an interesting one as well. Knowing that if they couldn't prove that the board worked, they wouldn't get their patent, Helen Peters was brought to the patent office in Washington when the application was filed. There, the chief patent officer demanded a demonstration. If the board could accurately spell out his name, which was supposedly not known to Peters, he'd allow the patent to proceed. They all sat down, communed with the spirits, and the planchet faithfully spelled out the patent officer's name. Whether or not it was mystical spirits or the fact that one of the patent seekers as a patent attorney may have just known the man's name is unclear. But on February the 10th, 1891, a white-faced and visibly shaken patent officer awarded them a patent for the new toy or game. And if you want to learn more about Ouija boards and hear some genuinely scary actual encounters with the infamous board, check out Scary Ouija Board Stories in Season 1, Episode 3 of the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.